0: Hello, and a very warm welcome to 20 Minutes With, a podcast brought to you by Proximo, a leading source of news and data for the project finance market. My name is Thomas Hopkins, and I am Deputy Editor at Proximo. On today's episode, Proximo brings you 20 Minutes With, Ludmil Banev, a director at NatWest, who will be discussing the growing popularity of large portfolio financings for European renewables assets. Ludmil, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast
1: today. Hey, Thomas. Yeah, great to be speaking to you today and to to Proximo. And uh, yeah, thanks for selecting a very interesting topic.
0: Yeah, thanks. I'm sure it'll be really, really interesting as as a discussion. And before we begin, uh, just perhaps you could tell me a little bit about your professional background and some of the work you do at NatWest.
1: Uh, Yeah, of course, I spent uh, all my career at NatWest, uh, did a few different things. But the majority of my career, the last seven and, and, a, and a bit years, I spent in the project finance, uh, you know, power, renewables and infrastructure space. Uh, and before that, I, I did a couple of years in, in mid-market leverage finance. Uh, I think I've been, you know, I've really enjoyed kind of growing from a career perspective with the with with the infrastructure and power market. And I think in the last couple of years, I've been very focused on power and renewables, which has obviously evolved quite a, quite. Quite a bit from a uh, from a purely subsidized market in a smaller market to a very big one. So my career has kind of followed that trajectory, um, and I've grown with the team at NatWest here for most of it.
0: Thanks. And I'm, you know, it's, I think it'll be really great to have your expertise coming up this, this topic, um, which I think I've sort of selected because I've seen a number of financings that have uh, suggested that this might be at least something of a trend or something to discuss at the moment. Um perhaps if I if I sort of kick off the discussion with an initial question, um, why do you think large portfolio sort of portfolio financings for European renewables projects have become more popular in recent years?
1: Uh, it's it's a it's a good question to start, and I, I've been doing a lot of thinking on it, both from a from a point of view of presenting it internally and bringing you know bringing the bank along bank along on the journey, but also uh, just to kind of make sense in in my head of what the key you know key success criteria in these financings are. So I think when I was thinking about this, there's probably three three main things that come to mind. I do think that there's a wider renewables market cost efficiency drive. You know, after years of subsidized deployment. Uh, you know, significant technology cost reductions have been established for renewable technologies. And I think a lot of, for for many years, that deployment happened largely on a single asset basis during the construction phase of financings. Obviously, CapEx costs fail and um, and deal sizes fail as well. I think further reductions in efficiencies, if you look at any market report and any, any report that looks at uh, targeting net zero, they they still remain ref- um, very necessary to achieve the energy transition targets, uh, and, and I think being able to deploy at scale is a very key piece of the puzzle um, uh, to to achieve those. And I think, you know, part part of it is you know cost of financing efficiency, but I think part part of it is just time efficiency and being able to deploy fast because uh, the the pace of deployment whilst we've had many successes very much needs to accelerate over the next 10 to 20 years and i think a portfolio aggregation and financing on a portfolio basis is is one kind of very logical way to to achieve that uh, it's also i think one of the one of the good ways for you know the financing market to play a role and to to evolve and play a role in the you know, wider proliferation and the acceleration of power and renewable uh, deployments uh, across the economy. I think beyond that, uh, the uh, the other very obvious feature would be the evolution of the revenue story. I think a couple of, you know, if you, if you roll back three or four years ago in majority of the markets, you'll be looking at um, subsidies and whilst there'll be a couple of different ways to monetize the subsidies they generally uh, uniform to a couple of couple of separate models and obviously faced quasi-sovereign risk uh, from us from the from the um, underwriting of the subsidy perspective Uh, i think since then there's certainly been uh, and we'll come to that in a second but they've been markets markets have been moving away from a pure play subsidized deployment and kind of a mixed model Um, while subsidies remain and that's meant that there's been a bigger focus on merchant revenues but there's been a bigger focus on revenue contracting and how do you achieve that uh, in the early stages of a a deal Um, I think portfolio financings where there is a you know a complex financing story there's a complex revenue story that needs to be banked I think scale and diversification uh, can help with that i think it can help uh, you know help for, help mobilize liquidity for these structures but but also help the market get their head around uh, particular contracting structures and obviously support for the sponsors buying power um, to be able to facilitate these you know more favorable contracting structures absent absent the sub- subsidy um, i think this has been a lot easier to do for portfolios and for bigger deals than for small individual assets um, I think the third point is quite quite closely linked to this one is flexibility around investment case. I guess that's more on what I think I understand is happening on the equity side. But I think uh, obviously to 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 accelerate deployments, more capital needs to be attracted. There is no shortage of capital in the market, I think. But uh, um, you know, to optimize the costs and to to you know to attract uh, to attract that capital, quite often uh, the investment policies have been you know maybe perhaps more flexible than in the past. And you know, or indeed, in some cases, multiple different sources of equity liquidity will be deployed within the same transactional perimeter, uh, or or within a, within a certain country. So a flexible structure works really well uh, to bridge, I guess, end investor appetite on the on the equity side with uh, with a transaction uh, and, a, and a construction financing. On, on the other hand, and I think you know, there's been a few pretty good early successes in the in in the sector. Um, Kind of demonstrating the ability to accelerate deployment by using a flexible strat- strategy uh, on the construction side and and matching that with an optimized uh, you know equity story on the on the other side. So these were these will be my top three. I think cost efficiency, revenue story, and just uh, working with working with equity to attract you know more more flexible and optimal cost of capital.
0: Thanks, Ludmil, and I think that's really sort of helped to kind of frame the discussion really usefully. So, uh, thank you. Looking, I suppose, at how these portfolio financings are actually deployed in practice or how they're used, Um, in your experience, are the majority of these large portfolio financings for greenfield assets or are they mostly refinancings designed to sort of consolidate projects originally financed separately or a bit of both? I'm just really interested to hear your your views on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I, think it's a, <clears throat> it's a mix. Perhaps a few of the factors I mentioned earlier are slightly more focused towards the, the greenfield, uh, the, the greenfield part of the market. But there's certainly a, a mixture of the two. I think there have been a number of big renewable, uh, you know, IPPs and and asset owners in the past that have pursued portfolio financings. I think as and when these come to to market for refinancing, there's certainly a lot that's being done to optimize capital structures. Uh, and 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 to build in flexibility, so I think a lot of a lot of the you know a big part of the of, of the trend is relevant to the um, to the to the operational um, portfolio transactions. Quite often, I think you also see in those a bit more complicated uh, structuring around leverage in terms of that leverage, kind of migrating a bit more from project finance to something more flexible, uh, perhaps you know more co- corporate infra like in nature. But I, I I do think that from a point of view of deployment a big trend has been greenfield financing because ultimately that is where you know applying this model to a a transaction with construction risk is ultimately where you um, there's a big win around accelerating speed of of deployment. Yes of
0: course and um, just thinking you know I I know you mentioned kind of various different revenue streams earlier in, in your initial response and just thinking about some of these larger portfolios where it's kind of conceivable that projects won't all be linked by the same subsidy regime or the same revenue stream do you think that lenders over the last few years have learnt to sort of accommodate projects with a variety of different revenue streams financed you know within a single kind of portfolio
1: my comment would be that i think the reality is that we are learning i think it's it's still it's still a developing market there's probably a fair bit of you know uniqueness to many to many deals and a market is market is forming in, in particular on the greenfield on the greenfield side. I'd I say there's certainly I think there's there's definitely been a good trajectory. I mean, looking at financings a couple of years back, it was probably more the exception than the than the norm, especially in some markets and especially at the construction stage, to have um, a variety of revenue streams being banked. Uh, I do think that that there's been a few very evident successes in the market and. Um, in putting you know putting these in place with you know clubs of banks and sometimes institutions that capture a pretty good proportion of the you know tier 1 lenders to renewables in 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 many different individual european markets for example which has been very pleasing to see i think we as natwest we always very keen to be in 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 these deals where possible and be at the forefront of the development of the market but uh, you know i think there's been a few successes and and certainly I think commonality around terms is developing. I would say that we're still in the in the learning phase. I think a lot of that, a lot of the initial thought process around how to execute these transactions came from, you know, part merchant part merchant deals in the past, uh, maybe you know other assets which are now in the transition bucket. You know, things like gas speakers, batteries, and, uh, and kind of conventional power as well. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of the methods utilized here do come from uh, historically conventional power financing. Um, and ultimately, zero subsidy bids, which were achieved on the many subsidies as intended in Europe, which kind of challenged the market to figure out how you'd finance a zero subsidy, subsidy assets, which I think now has been, uh, you know, implemented in pretty much every renewable asset class. So, um, again, I think it's a developing market. I think there is there is a market there and lenders are learning and in some cases have learned, had developed an approach to um to deploying to different revenue streams and to deploy against much risk, but it is also a developing approach. Uh, I guess some markets, if you look at Europe, some markets are definitely ahead of others. If you look at the North Pole market, um, I guess there's, there's, a, there's a longer history of, of, of more flexible revenue structures in uh, these attracting relatively high level levels of leverage. Um, and, and I think that is probably also fair to say that we, we've seen a fair bit of flexibility around uh, you know Iberian region as well.
0: Thank you. And I suppose following on from that point um, about, you know, lenders having to learn to accommodate these different revenue streams and the zero subs- subsidy uh, projects that have emerged over the last few years. Um, what risks are, are lenders typically kind of considering when financing a large portfolio of renewables assets in Europe?
1: So it, 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 it's a good question. I, I guess my my opening comment would be that I think it's a wider range of risks that we had uh, assessed in the past. I think we we have had the, uh, you know, project finance bankers. I think have had the luxury for 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 a couple of years of being able to you know look at two revenue streams, uh, two main revenue streams, and you know two ratios, and and kind of be able to form a relatively decent view of the amount of uh, leverage in a transaction. You know, parking obviously the, the standard project finance uh, risk factors to assess, but from from a revenue perspective, I think it was a fairly clear cut story. I think the the key I guess the key risk that at the moment we we look to analyze is exactly the risk of, for lack of a better word, the risk of what the flexibility actually means in practice. So I th- I think it's kind of figuring out how do you define the flexibility needs for the clients for you know for equity and for the project, um and you know how these can be understood almost as a, as a, how can this be defined as the resulting risk envelope of the deal that you present internally? I think that's quite often ends up being the the debate, right? I think if you have too much flexibility, sometimes it's quite difficult to to be able to understand what a deal looks like without having a very clear story. So is this balance of, okay, we relax at, at a number of criteria and you can do a few different things with the deal, but in the extreme, what, does, what can this deal look like? And then I guess B. What well, what do you what do we expect this deal to look like? What what is the story? So it's become, I think, a bit more focused on the story and how that supports the flexibility that perhaps has been uh, in in the past. That's been a challenge, right? I think historically, project finance for renewables has been you know a, a fairly well defined process in terms of how terms are structured and, uh, and and these I guess the shift in these parameters, the sources of fixed revenue, the sequencing of revenues, you know, the credit quality of the of the off taker. Uh, um the owner asset ownership story um have uh, have pushed the market into a different direction. i personally probably take a you know and i mentioned a few of these, but i take a three point approach three pronged approach in assessing the risk i think the first question for me is how much contracted flexibility is there you know is the deal fully merchant highly merchant is it fully merchant day one but actually by the by the time that the assets are operational, it is contracted and you know how do we As lenders come on this journey from uncontracted to a to a contracted case and what assumptions do we make around that contracted case on day one has been a big risk feature to to analyze and obviously with that comes also the quality of offtake so absent a subsidy what is the counterparty you know what are the key legal terms i think it's getting a lot more what are the commercial terms also is there any kind of shape risk is there any exposure to Settlement risk and balancing risk in the PPA. I think it's it, it, it's it's a slightly new, um, not not a new concept that is receiving a new new um, for point of focus in in the renewable sector. Um, then I think the second big area that I would analyze is the asset ownership story. So will the assets be kept or disposed? I think quite often the flexibility, where you have multiple pools of equity, for example, or multiple uh, investment strategies, is to you know, is, is, is sometimes to contract and dispose of the assets or to contract and keep the assets. But the, the underlying question for lenders is, okay, after a disposal, what 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 can the collateral look like? What what limits to the collateral value there are? And if new assets are added, what is the investment policy and how does that, again, defines the risk envelope around what the, you know, the, the goal, the, the quality of the assets as you go through the life cycle of the deal that are within your collateral pool might look like? Um, and I think it's it's it will be unfair not to mention geographic footprint as well. Obviously, there is different uh, construction and permitting regimes in, in different places uh, globally and, and even within within Europe. So that has been that's typically a consideration around not only, I guess, risk appetite for for, for individual lenders across uh, across different jurisdictions, but also in terms of actually understanding the construction and permitting um, and contracting risk on the deal, which may well differ a little bit between different markets.
0: Thank you, L- um, Lubin. And just to uh, follow up on something you were saying uh, there is, is there a certain need to define just in terms of flexibility around, say, if, you, if the financing does permit another asset that wasn't originally kind of included or envisaged to be substituted um at at some point during the financing. is is there a need for kind of clear definitions around how much flexibility there is about what assets can be sort of substituted for other assets in a big portfolio financing?
1: I think there always is. but the degree of specificity would depend on the life of the on the on the stage of the deal, and I'll give you two examples if you were preparing a Short dated RCS style facility, which supports the construction of assets, and you can actually construct assets and dispose of these assets, repay debt, and start constructing new assets. That is a very dynamic collateral pool, and it's also a collateral pool which uh, is almost entirely made up of construction assets. I think in a deal like that, it's very important to be very quite specific about what the assets can look like, so that they're within the risk envelope. I do think that if you're on the other hand of the spectrum, you're with you know within a Portfolio financing, which includes a lot of operational assets, and even if it has a construction element, um, you know, you're quite comfortable with the with the uh, existing assets, and you're quite comfortable that a big proportion of those assets will remain. Then you could perhaps take a a much more flexible view around around the criteria. In that case, I, I do think it would be really determined on 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 what the story is. But I think in both cases, you would need to be fairly specific in the definition, and I do think that being you know crafting these definition in a, in a clever way and in a helpful way is probably quite key to maximize liquidity as well from uh, from, from from banks on this um, uh, in these more flexible structures.
0: Thank you. and just to again move on to a, another topic, but it's something you were beginning to talk about uh, in, in one of your previous answers just in terms of understanding the kind of regulatory environment in which projects sit. Um, Do you think it's preferable for lenders to finance a portfolio assets that are either in a single country or in countries with similar regulatory regimes, as opposed to a portfolio that stretches to, you know, a number of countries, say, within the European Union, but that might sort of regulate their subsidy regimes slightly differently or regulate other aspects of the project slightly differently? I'm just wondering, uh, in terms of that consideration for lenders, how you might approach that.
1: I think it slightly differs depending on the transaction there's certainly if there are challenging aspects to a deal I think sometimes there is definitely there can be value in relative uniformity around the uh, you know the geographic risk um I, you know I think in particular if liquidity is a consideration it's worth you know it's worth figuring out um if a portfolio which is very highly diversified across different jurisdictions might actually mean that some of these jurisdictions, a lot of lenders cannot cannot yet play in, for example, and and that would mean that your overall liquidity amount reduces for a transaction, which brings everything together. I think in that case, it may make sense, especially if the portfolio is very big to keep to individual platforms in some cases, uh, in particular, if we're talking about construction risk at this stage of the market. That said, certainly deals have been done um, that are extremely well diversified globally and uh, it's just a case of, finding the right liquidity pool for you know for the structure as well as the geographic risk profile. So I think both need to be considered to make that determination. Um, otherwise, I think in it's fair to say also that if you have if there is a very big portfolio, um, you know, multiple gigawatts and, and a lot of operational assets, you know, I think I think there are there are things to go for there around um, you know, from a from a leverage perspective and terms perspective on a consolidated leverage perspective, there, there's probably a lot that can be be accessed throughout the diversification benefit of operational assets in different countries, but again, you just need to find a group of lenders that are comfortable with the with, with all the jurisdictions, and and then and then uh, use the diversification benefit to to optimize terms uh, elsewhere.
0: Thank you, and just moving on to our final question, and this has to do with the merchant revenue streams, I suppose that we've seen develop in a lot of renewables projects as sort of subsidy regimes have no longer in some cases been necessary. And I know at the moment it's quite popular for developers to take advantage of some kind of merchant exposure, uh, just given the, you know, where power prices are. Um, But just thinking about portfolio financings, how willing do you think lenders are at this stage to take on an element of merchant risk in renewables portfolio financings?
1: Um, my observation would be that they are increasingly, increasingly more willing. Uh, I'll caveat this by saying that perhaps there might have been individual markets where you know, there was periods where a lot of merchant activity was done, then that reduced, and maybe it's increasing again. So I do think that if you think about it from a liquidity perspective, the merchant risk uh, much in revenue risk financing from a financing perspective is in the higher risk bucket. So obviously, if there is uh, market conditions, perhaps partially influence how willing lenders are at any given point to to deploy into what they perceive as a higher risk part of the uh, you know of, of the financing perimeter. But I, I, as a whole, I would say it's increased. Lenders have been increasingly uh, more willing to finance. I think we we certainly developed our thinking on financing merchant risk and renewable portfolio financing a lot since 2019 and it's been a you know and before and it's been a you know concerted effort on our end to develop uh, you know more bespoke and whilst more flexible also more bespoke risk policies to be able to account and structure that risk um and i think a lot of other lenders must have done that as well considering how um you know the type of deals that are being in, in the size of Deals with merchant exposures, which are being um, done in the European markets. Um, I did mention earlier, obviously Nordic Spain, probably leading markets on this. The U S has also got a pretty, pretty strong merchant market, um, Even, even if it's provided by a slightly different subset of, uh, of lenders, I think than, than the rest, but in um, the rest of the market. But I, I think that some markets are more leaders than others, but all you know there has been a shift in which banks have increasingly accepted the risk. Now, of course, I think all that comes with balancing exposure on an individual deal basis between the fixed and variable and uh, but also, I think trying to balance on a portfolio basis around how much of the risk on on your book is is merchant risk. I think it I think for lenders and certainly for us, it makes sense to try and understand and monitor. Our overall overall levels of risk exposure, and just make sure that we we understand the risk that we have in our books. Obviously, but that that being said, I think there's been there's been an effort to to become more flexible uh, on that point. Um, I, one one tool I think we've used a lot around uh, around this has been understanding really the power markets and also what the individual deal power price break even is relative to the performance of these markets to really you know understand after you take everything into account leverage structure and so on how to what extent exactly uh, you are exposed as a lender to um, to merchant risk and and really what kind of merchant market performance you need to be worried about from a risk perspective in order to um, you know to what extent you, you've mitigated that through the through the deal structure. So you know I, th- I think it's certainly on a very strong trajectory and uh, it's more it's more complex. It's more complex set of analysis than what's been done in the past, but uh, I've seen it I've seen it evolve a fair bit over the last two years.
0: Thanks so much, Lou Bill. Um, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today, but really, thank you once again for joining me on the podcast.
1: No, it was a pleasure. Um, Hopefully that was useful. And uh, yeah, look forward to speaking again in uh, in the future.
0: Thank you. It's it's certainly been a fascinating discussion. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And please do tune in again for what will be our final podcast of 2022 in two weeks time for more of your latest project finance, energy and infrastructure news and analysis from Proximo.